Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week. We have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm excited to talk about the busyness. Welcome back to our month of overcoming. This month, we're focusing on overcoming different spiritual diseases. Our first week, we talked about spiritual disease of legalism. This week, we're going to talk about the spiritual disease of perfectionism. A lot of isms in this. And joining me to talk about this is Ricky Brooks. Ricky, welcome again back. Appreciate having you on here. Thank you, sir. As always, you know, it's kind of... uh been a bit of an adventure your podcast you know especially for a boomer like myself like the old folks yeah like uh ooh, it's like i'm on the radio or or something but it's really a powerful method of discovery i think the whole focusing on a lot of different topics always with the intention of bringing it back to the ultimate solution to all of our problems is abiding in the Savior. And whether you call that walking in the Spirit or bowing before the sovereignty of the Father or the Lordship of Jesus in our life, those are all about being closely connected to God. And just the back and forth discussion um, by two people paying close attention to this need in our life has been really, really good for me. You know, and it's it's been big hope, for me too. Yeah, I, I hope it's helpful for for others. Though our audience isn't very la- large, I I pray that God might increase that. You know, not so much that you and I can be heard, but the message of abiding in the Savior needs to be heard. And I pray that God would raise up more and more and more people who can point this out to as many as possible. All the problems that we have in this mixed up world of ours, you know, this is a pretty, a very, very needed, but maybe hidden secret, you know. It shouldn't be, but it is. Not too many people really recognize a lot of what we're talking about. So may may the audience grow and maybe somebody else pick it up and run with it faster, further, better. Amen. Amen. Yeah. May he increase and may we decrease. Yeah. Amen. Right on. So talking about this perfectionism, where does this whole spiritual disease come from what what do you think it's rooted in why do we see it so popular among even middle class upper class even 
lower class if you talk about classes, but just all socioeconomic groups. I think like we've like always we have to at least mention the fact that all of these things are rooted in the fall and they are attempts to bring meaning and purpose into our lives but perfectionism as a unique idol kind of does beg the question what is it about a person's natural inclinations apart from Christ? Since the natural inc inclination apart from Christ is to sin. Why then would some choose perfectionism? Because it seems that perfectionism would be, you know, like a good thing, right? If I, if I can sure. be perfect, if I can strive for perfection then I make all the people in my life happy. Because I don't necessarily have to be dysfunctional in my perfectionism. I just need to strive for it. But I think what happens is it's the perfect tool of the enemy because if you can have moments in which you really do very, very, very well. So somebody says, man, that was perfect, whatever it might happen to be. Uh, then they get this real big boost of ego. You know, they feel really good about themselves. And who doesn't want to feel good about him or herself? Sure. But on the other hand, you know, the, the measurement, the, the finish line is always being pushed further and further and further out in front and you have to do more and more and more to reach it and if you don't reach it a lot then you fall back into the whole who am I what am I well I'm not very good my thoughts my actions aren't very good I better strive for some more somewhere in the genetic makeup that the temperament of a human being and the complexity of his or her upbringing and life produces a need to stand out and feel accepted by standing out above the crowd. And that by definition is perfectionism. I don't know exactly what those components are all the time. I might be able to pick those out in my own life. But I probably have to ask an individual, what was going down in your life that caused you to want to strive for perfectionism? You know, we had uh, quite some time ago, one of our guests who shared her testimony talked about her need to be perfect and it really grew for her it grew out of her religious upbringing to be loved to be held in high esteem she felt she had to be perfect and whether it's by god or her mother or her father or brothers and sisters friends 
and then later in life as a wife and a mother she wanted she wanted to be viewed as as good enough better than the rest ultimately perfect and she is She's a wonderful woman a great mother a great wife a great daughter a great employee she is beyond great in in all of our eyes but not in her own eyes and i think if i remember right she literally said you know it was hard for her to pinpoint what was it about her childhood or adolescence or whatever that caused her to feel that way because her parents didn't demand it of her the world didn't demand it of her but she demanded it of herself hmm. so that complexity of personality and all of that and whatever's going on in one's life i'm not really sure that i'm capable of defining generalizing it, it. yeah can you i don't know I... I don't know if i can generalize it but the people that i've met that were rooted in perfectionism including myself was to show that i had value to the people that i loved that i didn't feel valued from so like for me i wanted to prove to my father that i was i was the cat's meow you know i was i was great i wanted him to be proud of me mm. so i did all these things even from a young age so that I would stand out so that he would look at me and say, yes, that's my son. And I, I tried so many things. And even through high school, it wasn't, I wasn't the star football player. Anyone, if they listen to this and they played football with me in high school, I had a great coaching perspective, but my player perspective, I was not confident in my own plays. So it often, ran into things but i could tell you from the sideline what was going to happen but i couldn't you know i couldn't play it but then i joined the navy and i went into the navy and i went into the the hardest program that i could find intellectually and then i i pushed through i, I did as as best as i could given all the different things i was doing and then i just i pushed myself and pushed myself to qualify to certify, to learn everything I could so that I could be the top of the top to pr promote as quick as possible. And I did all of that for myself, but at the same time, I kept saying, Daddy, I got this. I got this, Dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm proud of you. And it was in that moment, it was like, it was all worth it. Like, my dad's proud of my accomplishment. And a couple of the other members of our groups, I've heard something similar where it was like, they didn't feel loved or valued by certain individuals in their, their life at childhood. So their perfectionism drove to show that individual, see, do you see me now? See all that I'm doing? That's what I've seen. When, when that was going on growing up, so um, you said, when, when, I'll back up. When you talked about being in the Navy and you strive for all the cert certifications and whatnot and you did really well and you could show that to your dad and he'd say, awesome, I'm proud of you. But you always felt the need to do that uh, while you were growing up. Was it absent normally? And then the attaboy, the pat on the back, the 
the cheer only came when you brought the, you know, you got a hundred on the test, you got straight A's. Uh, is that when you got the the affirmation? Are you saying are you saying that you didn't get the affirmation like on a normal routine basis? That was my perspective. Um, whether it, it happened or not, I can't confirm, and my dad's not around to confirm that. But from my perspective as a child, I did not feel that to be the case. It was only when I performed and did great things like becoming the chess club president in yeah. seventh or eighth grade or, you know, doing this or doing that or getting these grades, writing this amazing essay. Yeah. That's really interesting because I would say when I grew up, I had the opposite. I was always affirmed. I was always shown and encouraged with acceptance, love, hugs uh, from my mom and dad. There wasn't a distinction between quality time with the children and quantity. In order to be quality, there had to be quantity and quantity ensured quality. There's always the goodnight kiss, the tuck in bed, uh, long conversations, lots of affirmation. There's never a time in my life growing up where I did not feel great security and significance. And as a result, if I have a if I have an issue, it's more the opposite of perfectionism. Because I don't, I don't strive for perfectionism. And sometimes that's problematic because I get nothing out of a public acknowledgement. Um, I get nothing out of, a, you know, the golden star. This doesn't motivate me at all. And therefore, because I feel very accepted and very loved whether it's by God or, you know, my family of origin and then my own family. So it's almost like the opposite, right? So the thing that, <laughs> the thing that we receive can cause a reaction that can become dysfunctional the other way. So in my case, you know, maybe not working hard enough or striving hard enough for something, or even in my youth, you know, some indolence or laziness because everything was okay at home. Mm. In your case, working your finger to the bone, striving for every ounce of perfection you could get, because whether it happened or not, your perception was that uh, the regular routine aspect of life you weren't getting those those points of affirmation. And when you worked hard, you did get the, hey, I'm proud of your son or the attaboy, the pat on the back. Yeah. I think that's something that you and I should probably in, contemplate and think about and discuss someday in the future. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about how it affects us, though. Yeah. So with legalism, we talked about how it affected our mindset our belief in ourself, 
how we treated others, and also our relationship with the Lord. I want to do the same thing with this. So our mindset for the perfectionist. Where does the what is the mindset of a perfectionist focused on? Well, it certainly is, I think, and you've described it well. It's it's focused on me. I I, I want to feel good. I want to hear from them, especially the significant others in my life, right? I want them to be proud of me. So, you know, I have to do this and I have to do it well or I won't be okay or I'll believe that others don't think I'm okay. Going back to to the person I mentioned earlier who shared her testimony, that was one of her drivers, you know. I want to be seen as a good mother. Well, all everybody who knows her told her she was a good mother. But it, it didn't matter. She still, you know, and it wasn't until she really began to understand it, taking it to the Lord and beginning to abide in the, in the Savior and learning that she's fully accepted by God, that she started to come to grips with it and achieved a lot of great victory. So I think, you know, that whole issue that even though per perfectionism seems to be about pleasing others, it's really an idolatry of the self because the focus is on on me. Am I okay? Do I look good to other people? Do other people think well of me? Am I doing what I need to to satisfy other people? Because I don't want other people to think bad of me. In your uh, pre-discussion before the podcast, uh, you wrote something down. The perception of who I am could be tainted if I don't strive for perfectionism. I think that mindset is really, really true. Well, that... You described it as Ellie described it, as other people I've worked with described, have described it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and now counter to that, because I'm not a perfectionist, I, the more I think about it, you know, uh, I don't ask that question. Am I going to be okay? <laughs> Is my image going to be tainted? Now, it does in the sense that I, I want to do right by God. I want to protect my reputation and ultimately the Lord's reputation. But that's not about being seen as perfect. So just Does that make sense? I don't, I don't yeah. Have that, I don't have that feeling tone at all. Well, and I've shared this before when my kids were younger and I had to have this perception of a great father, a great Christian, great husband and all of that. I strove for excellence in my my parenting. I had the books, like I had them all. And even when my marriage was struggling, I went through all these books, 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 books galore. I went through well-known Christian crisis counselors. I read all their books. I read the How to Date Your Wife. I, I read all these books to try to figure out how I can do this, to give me the skill set so that I could make everything work like it should and to have one leg up on everyone else who has gone through what I've gone through. That way that I could I could succeed where they didn't. 
And even when my marriage was struggling or even when my kids were just, they were having a rough time, I had to show that I had everything under control. Not because other people expected it, but because I felt like, what will they think if, if my marriage dissolves? What will they think if my kids start acting disobedient or misbehave? Like how, who am I if all of that happens? I'm, I'm just this facade. So it was very much real for me of this idea of being tainted or, or to have this perception that's different than who I am. Was the embarrassment a part of that? Because I'll oftentimes watch like young parents. They won't be consistent. They'll do anything they can do, possibly do to get their children to look really well-behaved in public. Oh, yeah. And I don't think, and in many cases, I don't think they're striving for perfection. I think they're striving to not be embarrassed. Is that the same thing? Uh, it, it can be, but for me, my thought was I have to be the best dad. Yeah. I it, like it it goes back to the status of. It wasn't like, "Oh, I don't want people to see my kids cry." It was if they see me not handling this correctly, that I'm lumped in with all these other dads who aren't top of the, you know, dad chain. They they're not looking like they're the best dads. And for me, that word the best dad that stood out in my mind during that season that I had to be the best. Yeah, I think that's different than what I was talking about because because of behind the scenes, then you're reading, studying, practicing, contemplating, working at being the best, whereas the person I'm talking about, they're afraid of losing face in public, so they they pinch their kid, they smack them, they talk down to them, or they are permissive with them, whatever their choice is whatever they can do to get their kids to stop crying or stop pouting or stop doing whatever is embarrassing to them as sure. opposed to working hard at being a better parent. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's interesting that it's not so much about embarrassment, but you, you just, the fact that, that people will be able to recognize you as, wow, this guy's got his act together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense in terms of, you know, again, when we talk about flesh in the biblical sense, it's it's the the warp and woof of our thinking before salvation. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the whole idea of having victory over the flesh or the tendencies, inclinations, the the the, the defense mechanisms, the the habituations that we live with, and when we grow up, we're all individuals and it is that what we're born with along with the unique complexity of our situation. Cause it's interesting that you didn't blame that on your mom and dad. You were quick to say, I don't know that they did that. It was my perception that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes, that makes, that's very, very insightful. Because whether somebody causes it or you cause it yourself because of your perceptions, well, why would somebody think that way? Um, because it's the unique quality of the lost soul that you were. And then 
when you become saved and you have the power of God within you and you begin to start abiding, you start thinking real clearly about it. And you can then use it to your advantage. Your striving to be excellent is still a good thing, but it's not perfectionism. It's worship. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And this belief in self, I know for my personal sake, my belief in self and in who I was was all about how I was able to perform. Taking an example in the Navy, I was driving and driving. When I first got to my submarine, there's a big period when when you get to your submarine, you have this uh, one year to certify. We call it qualify, but essentially it's a certification process. And at the end of that, you qualify in your submarine warfare. We call it dolphins. Okay, you get your dolphins. And for me, I was like, yeah, the, the dolphins are cool, but all of these other nuclear power ones, I need to be the best. I need to be the fastest. I need to qualify faster than this other nub, non-useful body is what they'd call us. Uh, <laughs> the new underway buddy was another way. But these new guys, I needed to qualify faster than this other guy because I've, I've got to stand out. And I did, and I, and I most certainly qualified before him. And, and I helped pull him along with me. Great guy. He just wasn't he, – he qualified in the average time. I was above average time, and so I was pulling him along. But the point was, if, if I look back now – I didn't want to look like the the garbage sailor. I didn't I didn't want to be viewed like that. So then my thought process started developing. If I can't qualify in time, who am I? I'm nothing. Like I'm I'm just that dirtbag sailor that no one's going to want. So I have to do this. I have to qualify. Oh man, it's it's night shift. I'm tired, but I'm going to get four or five of these checkouts done for this certification process, just so I can get ahead of the curve. And I would do it. I would do all these crazy things, even, even more so. They took me out of my, de my division, my department, uh, electrical, and they put me in the department as an administrative person, just because I organized a bunch of manuals. And while I was there, I, I, I did some good work. I, at least I hope so. I hope my supervisors thought that they gave me good evaluations and everything but when i went back to the division i thought well i want to be the the lpo leading petty officer that's the guy who's in charge i want to be that guy and i talked to i talked to them and they said yeah you know you're you're basically the senior guy so you'll take over for this guy when he leaves and i said okay but then i thought but wait a minute if i'm going to be this guy i need to know everything there wasn't an exception. I need to know everything. So I dove in and, and just like you said, working the, the fingers to the knuckles or the finger to the bone, I would get in on every single maintenance thing. I would read every single maintenance thing. I would go through every safety lockout that we had. I would, I would do all this stuff. I wouldn't get any sleep at all. I was getting like two hours of sleep a night on the, on the submarine. But I was doing all that so that I could be the best. So then I can make the next rank quickly. So then I can feed back into that status 
of who I was. So if I didn't perform, if I didn't do those things, man, who are you? That's that's really powerful. It makes total sense because it's really you're you were you were feeding the me monster. Your self perception was shame and failure if you didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, you treat yourself then with as a task mask, a, a taskmaster then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Does that is that true then of how you treated other you treat other people as a perfectionist? I think in some cases, it not so much how I treat them, but how I viewed them or viewed them in that period of time. So your I looked at them of another person is is if they're not striving that way. You even slipped a little bit. You said the garbage sailor. So I was in the army and and the term was bad attitude. There were people that just, they weren't good soldiers. You could be a mediocre soldier and be all right. Sure. But if you were a bad attitude soldier, the senior NCOs and officers were pretty much done with you. Yep. And, and, uh, and in my case, I didn't want to be that, but I was okay being a normal soldier <laughs> as opposed to super, super sailor like. Yeah. Like you were striving for. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't become competitive. I, I didn't seek perfection uh, because uh, because I had built into me great security. I thought of myself as a winner. So therefore, as a when I competed in sports or whatever, I didn't want to lose. It wasn't about being technically the best. I'm just not going to lose hmm. because because I'm not a loser. It was my my thought process. So therefore, I I was very competitive, and until I started really walking with the Lord, I was highly competitive, not to win, not to be the best, but not to lose. Interesting. Yeah, that's so foreign to my mind because. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, back into my real deep perfectionism roots. Well, what's the best way to, to not lose? To be the best. Yeah. You know, like yeah. to take control. And that's that's the root of control, right? To take control of, of my future and, and do everything I could. So that's interesting. And you yeah, asked. See, the, I, would, I would look for loopholes. <laughs> not, not to lose. Uh, I didn't want good. to be dishonest, but I would look for loopholes because I didn't want to lose. Yeah, that's a, it's really, I can see what you're talking about. It makes total sense to me, you know, and that not only your mindset, but in how you believe about yourself, you know, and then the, the, the feeling and judgment, so to speak, of, of other people. They're, they're not really doing that. Uh, you know, the Bible has that, that, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and uh, from a family that was close to Jesus. And uh, in, in Luke chapter 10, um, we read about where, where Jesus is at their home and says that as Jesus and his followers were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha 
opened her home to him. This is Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the translators put an exclamation mark after that. <laughs> Tell her to help me. <laughs> Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary's chose to abide. Mary's chose to worship. Mary's chose to sit in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, even though she doesn't know that's who it is at this point. Martha, on the other hand, has chosen to seek completion. And she has made an evaluation about herself and about her sister, just like you're talking about. And, and, and Jesus, in looking at that, I don't think he's looking at it through the, uh, the lens of perfectionism versus indolence or laziness. And that can't be the case because he clearly doesn't say that, that Mary is doing anything wrong. Yeah. In fact, she's doing right. Cause she's right. abiding in the Lord, right? She's, she's, She's finding her meaning and her purpose in him. Whereas Martha is not feeling good about herself or her sister or her household. That lack of perfection, that lack of, of not feeling ashamed, not feeling like a failure. All of those kind of things are rearing their ugly head in that, in that piece of history that we read about. Her mindset, her belief in self, and her belief or treatment of others sounds exactly what you've been describing in this. Yeah, mindset. and I can put I can put myself in in Mary's shoes, and if I'm in that situation, I'm thinking I want this to be the best house that Jesus visits. I want him to to talk about the time that he spent, you know, the good teacher spent in our house, and remember, yeah, Mary and Martha, and then. I would have briefed Mary before. Hey, Mary, we're going to do all these things, and Jesus is going to come back to our house. And everyone's going to know, hey, remember when we walked into that house with, you know, that guy who came through the ceiling? It was it was trashed. People left stuff all over the place. That's not going to be our house, Mary. We are going to have the best house in the neighborhood. Everyone's going to see that. And then briefing her, okay, you do this, 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 this. I'll do all these five things. And then Jesus is going to feel so great at our house. And then I could see myself, too, in the, the position of, what? well, Mary is not even doing the five things she's supposed to be doing. Now i got to do those five things or else our house is going to fall into, you know, disrepair. And, and this, this, can't, this can't happen. And I'm getting so frustrated. And I think it brings up a really good point about the destructive end for this. And that is it leads to burnout. It leads to utter exhaustion. Absolutely. I'm sure Mary, she was enjoying that time at Jesus' feet in just complete contentedness and peace. Whereas Martha in the back was getting exhausted and working so hard 
great, but missing the point all of that time thinking she was doing the right thing. And Jesus brings it up. Hey, you missed it. You missed the mark. Mary got it. She figured it out. You've been working yourself, exhausting yourself. That's not what I called you to, Martha. That's not what I called you to, Chris. I didn't didn't call you to overwork yourself and exhaust yourself. You can look back at the garden for that. The work that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden was not exhaustive. It was not tiresome. It was not horribly labor-intensive. Name those animals. Tend and keep this garden. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to water the garden for you, and I'm going to plant all the plants. And I'm going to make it so if a seed falls from the tree, it'll plant itself. I really don't need you to do this, Adam, but I'm giving you as the, as the task. Right? Like It was not difficult in Genesis 2 for Adam and Eve. So why would we why would we believe it has to be so exhausting and so you know burdensome? Even pastors or associate pastors or ministry leaders, they're all working themselves to the bone in this maybe in perfectionism, maybe in something else, but ultimately I think you've you've made a, a great example with Mary and Martha. To what end is perfectionism? It just it destroys not only our own mental health, but think of the relationship with Jesus that Martha was missing out on. She could not have a full, complete relationship with Christ. Why? Because she was spending all the time doing other things. So it's the same with us. When I was doing all that stuff, my relationship with Christ was never good enough. Why? Because I didn't dedicate enough time to it. I was dedicating it to being the perfect father, the perfect husband, the perfect friend, the perfect son, all these other things. And I'm, I missed out on a lot of the fullness of the relationship with God as well. Yeah, that's really well said. It's kind of like, it, uh, and it's a good segue too, because, you know, as we approach the end of our time, we wanted to discuss the destructive end for this in our personal relationships, in our relationship with the Lord and even our health. And you've already begun to touch on that, you know, like our relationship with God. It's like if perfectionism is my my deal, I'm never good enough. Yeah. Like Martha, I'm going to keep, you know, working my fingers to the bone. And that is a perspective that weaves its way all the way through the Bible. You know, the Lord has things for us to do and not to do. But the whole issue of salvation by works or salvation by grace through faith, when we finally realize we can't do enough to earn salvation, to earn a place in heaven. I mean, after all, how good would I have to be? For God to go, yeah, you're uh, you're perfect. Come be in heaven with me. <laughs> you made the cut. Happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But so a lot of people go, well, there's all kinds of laws in the Bible, yeah, but they're just they're just the smart, intelligent, logical aspect of what it means to live in agenda harmony with the Lord, out of love, abiding with Him. We'll we'll be like Him. 
And this is the kind of action that comes from being like him. And I, don't, I can quit dealing with never good enough or always having to perform because you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn complete significance, security, belonging, and acceptance by doing enough. If I can just do better, if I can just do better, yep. if I can attain to perfection. And then by abiding, you become set free from that. Then you can pursue out of not the need to be perfect, but out of the joy of being faithful to all the stuff God has gifted us to do and bringing him glory and honor and joy to our own hearts because we're really walking in in harmony with him so we don't really know whether or not mary always sat around <laughs> you read that that piece of history and you go maybe martha just thinks she's never doing anything and, and but on this one occasion when we see her she's just abiding in the lord and that was the thing Jesus wanted from us. Yeah. You know, even another spot in the Bible, when Jesus addressed, they said, what and people say, well, what is the will of God? Well, the will of God is that you would believe in me. That's the will of God, the father, that we believe in the son. And the word believe is, you know, the, the verb form of the word faith, trust to acknowledge and trust believe in, have faith in, confidence in, abide in, remain in, fellowship with, walk with, commune with, enjoy, worship, all of those words are just is what all that God wants. Why? Because they we're filling up on him and not on the isms, whether it's perfectionism or legalism or others will see in coming weeks. The Bible refers to it as will worship. If I force myself, if I will myself to be better, I'll make God more happy with me. But we then, we just get swept up in this quagmire because God is perfect. He's eternal and infinite. He's never going to love us more because he loves us eternally and infinitely. And he's never going to love us less. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he already loves us completely. We've got a couple groups right now, discipleship groups that are going through Romans three and Romans four, Romans five, which really hit on one of the topics you talked about, which was the law. Yeah, there's a lot of laws. So we've got to meet them all right. We've got to we've got to follow them. And that's exhausting. That brings us into, you know, a lot of the um, offshoots of Christianity that require a strict adherence to all of these, these different laws. We talked about the laws back in legalism, but one thing that stood out to me so greatly was, yes, there's a lot of laws. So going into Romans chapter three, verse 31, through this faith, 
the law is is not um, we're not under the law, right? So then he poses the question. Paul does. Do we then nullify the law by this faith, by our faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So it's it's interesting that as we abide, as we have this faith in verb form, then we follow the law of God naturally through our spirit nature. Now, this isn't a, a believing Christian, someone who has accepted Christ, not an unbeliever. But the whole point of it is when we turn our eyes away from being good enough, doing everything right, then we turn our eyes towards Christ and we, like we've talked about, the pillars of abiding. When we live our life with a dependence on God himself to be our strength in our weakness, when we know, like, I can't make all of these things happen, Martha, I can't cook all of these items and sweep and do all of this. Lord, I need help. Tell me what I need to do. Help provide a provider, or someone else, a helper. What if he just said, Martha, I'm not actually hungry. Why don't you come over here and just sit with us? But Lord, I, I'm really not hungry. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm good. I just fasted 40 days. <laughs> But, you know, like when we can do that and look into that, then we can start to see how we can abide through this disease. And this this truly is a spiritual disease, because what does it do? It brings like a, a form of cancer into our our relationships, relationships. When we look at others, remember how Jesus looked at others. He didn't look at them through this like disgust. He didn't look at them and say, oh, you have little faith. Get away from me. How dare you not have the faith? No, he, he said, you have little faith. And then he would do something that would edify them to teach them of what faith really looked like. So when we have this perfectionism, and I, I say we, I'll speak for myself. When I had this and I looked at other people and I looked at them and I said, well, you could do better than that. You didn't need to fall into that sin. You could have, you could have fought it. If only you had read your, your Bible more, if only you've studied for that test more, if only you hadn't been gallivanting around and just playing, you could have done more. When I look at someone with those eyes, oh my gosh, I can't treat them the way Christ ever did. There's no way I can. But when I surrender to the Lord and I say, God, I know that I'm not enough. And then I see someone else who fails. Oh Lord, help them. If you use me, use me to help lift them up. But I come with a, a spirit of humility instead. Belief in self all of a sudden. Now I say, you know what? I, I can't make it. But Lord, I know you can. You know, when me, things aren't possible. But in you, Lord, I know that anything's possible. You gave Abraham a child at the age of 99. That's pretty impossible. But you did it. And well, Shoot, you parted the Red Sea for Moses and your people. So you can do those things. I can know you can do all these things that I can't do. So now all of a sudden, my whole belief in myself is different. I don't have to be the perfect one. I don't have to be the top dog, the, the top sailor, the top dancer. And 
that's really started to transform me because as I shifted into dancing, I saw the, the root of perfectionism wanting to take hold in that hobby and now that career. I wanted to be the best dancer and I would study and study and study. But then I came to a point when I realized, wait, hold on a second. Why do I want to be the best dancer? So I can, so I can show other people how great I am. So then I said, well, Lord, that's, that's not my intent. No, no, that's not me. I'm the one who loves this dance, but I want to be able to dance and worship for you because you've given me a, a, you know, a healthy body that I can truly celebrate. And I want to be able to use that to teach others. So instead, it shifted over and said, well, I, I want to be good at what I'm doing, but I don't want to worship what I'm doing. And so it changed. It changed all of it. As long as I had that understanding, I'm not enough. God, I will never be enough for anything that I want in this life. Therefore, you're enough. That's really, really good. I think and that's exactly what Mary is doing. She's just sitting at his feet in rapt attention, you know, kind of, you know, it's just a beautiful picture of eyes wide open, you know, Lord, teach me more, show me more. Yeah. I just want to be near you. Well, some would say, well, then would you ever get anything done? Yeah. Because when you hang out with Jesus, you do stuff Jesus does. Right. So when it's time to sit and just talk, and just listen, then relax. And in our case, we open up the Word of God, and we pour it in, and we let it overwrite all of our old junk. But then you see somebody in need, whether it's your own children, or a stranger, or somebody you know, or somebody you work with, you become more like Jesus, and now excellence flows out of you because you're acting like the one you love the most because you tend to become like the one you love the most. Yeah. And if that's, and if that's the father, son and Holy spirit, then you start looking like him and, you know, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to say it because, because I'm going to say it, you know, before, before this particular recording was done, you did two more just before it. Not not recordings, but you did two different sessions with two different groups helping them learn to abide. And now it's late in Tennessee and you're still wanting to do this because you want to do what Jesus did. And Jesus went without sleep. Jesus gave everything and you're not doing that begrudgingly you're not doing that out of perfectionism i know you now and you're doing that out of the, all the right reasons still pursuing excellence still sure. working hard still giving your 110% effort on all fronts for your children for work you know for your abide groups and on and on it goes because the most important thing is sitting at his feet. And then he, and then he takes Mary by the hand or he takes John or Martha or any of the followers. And he says, now come and follow me. Let's, 
Let's go feed the poor. Let's go heal the blind. Let's go tell them that their Messiah has arrived. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. You know, my last thought on it is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Well, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, in your case, coming to know Jesus, you died to perfectionism. Why, as though still, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, you could say, I could add to that, you know, Martha's thing. Why do you keep doing this, Martha? Why do you indulge in these regulations? It's just the appearance of wisdom. It's just the appearance of goodness. It's just the appearance of perfection. It's self-imposed. I'm not asking that of you. You're doing it as though it makes me happy. And I, you know, I think Jesus probably was happy that Martha wanted to do that. But he saw it for what it was. It wasn't what her sister was doing, which was just filling up on him. Yeah. And, you know, dear listener, I, I hope you're hearing it perfectionism is your thing there's a way out and it's through jesus and all the things we've talked about in terms of abiding spending copious amounts of time in god's word not just intellectually or academically but letting his truth wash over you and transform you from the inside out and if you've never met jesus that's the starting point right Chris? amen yeah, it is well, let's pray. I think that's a good stopping point. Let's pray to uh, break the bondage of this spiritual disease and, and yeah. hope that uh, the words of Christ and the words of the prophets and uh, God's inspired word gives them that understanding of, of that in their lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that Though we can't be enough, that you are enough. That our actions will never equal what would be needed for us to be worthy in your eyes. To, to earn this righteousness, this justification. So I pray that because that truth is, is evident in your word through Paul's writing, that instead you will... Fill us with the knowledge of what you've done. Lord, help us to know in whom we believe. Help us to understand that when we sit at your feet like Mary did, that through this abiding relationship that we have with you, we can be fruitful. Instead of being the branch connected to the vine that's 
constantly having leaves die from burnout, trying to do all these other things that a branch isn't supposed to do and having to be snipped off and be pruned from the plant for the life of the plant. God, let us be the fruitful vine or branches off the vine. Let us be the, the branches that bear much fruit, Lord, that, that we can be a blessing to those around us. Lord, use us in a way that as we walk through each day where others might think we're being unproductive by just sitting, talking with you or in prayer, but instead bring amazing opportunities for your word to be spread through that time, that that time would not be wasted, but that instead it would be a wonderful time of worship, that it would be our spiritual act of worship, just giving you that time. And I pray for each and every one of our listeners. I pray for those that they may share this message with, that they will be impacted by the knowledge that they don't have to do everything perfectly. You already did. And that we can rest in that truth. So I pray that in all of our lives, Lord Jesus, break the spiritual bondage to perfectionism. Continue to break those chains of legalism and help steer us back to you, both as a, as a people, as a nation, as a church, and as an individual. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.